Good morning, Veritas. We're so glad that you've joined us. Um, thanks for being here this morning. And whether you're joining us online, uh, whether you're here in person, uh, our goal is just to bring the Word of God and the announcement about Jesus Christ in all of its fullness wherever you are uh, this morning. So we're glad that you are here. So uh, one of the things that we do uh, at Veritas is we, we open the scriptures and we just try to study through the Bible because uh, we, we don't just want to get up here and tell you our opinions about everything that's happening. We really want God's word to, to be the rock that we plant our feet on. And so if you have a Bible open to 1 Corinthians, um, the passage and the sermon notes are all on the website. As Dalton mentioned, also the lyrics to the songs at veritascommunity.org. Uh, and you can find the three ser- uh, the text of Scripture and the sermon notes there on the, the homepage of our website. So just as we open this new book uh, called 1 Corinthians, some of you who are new to the Bible or new to church might be saying, what is, what is Corinthians and why is it the 1 Corinthians? Well, here it is. Um, what, does that, what does that mean? Well, Corinth was a city in Greece, modern-day Greece, It's a little strip of land that separates Asia and Europe. And so it was a very important city, kind of a hub city for the world because you kind of had to go through Corinth, one port on the east side to get over uh, to Europe. And so an important city, it was spiritually dark. It was known for being a city filled with temples. And there were like a thousand temple prostitutes that every night would come down to the city and uh, people would go to the temple for temple prostitution. In fact, they had their own word. It was called to be Corinthianized. And um, we kind of know what that is. Like if somebody, if you said, yeah, that person was, that, that, that student came to Iowa City and they were Iowa Cityized, uh, you'd probably have a, a like, ooh, ooh. You know, and actually, uh, if you're a parent who's sitting here with your freshman or you're watching online, you're like, oh, no, my kids. Like, well, that's why we're here. That's the good news uh, that your kids may be getting Iowa City eyes has a new meaning. Like, no way they got saved. Uh, That'd be awesome if that's what that word came to me. But but in Corinth, it was like you got Corinthianized. And that was not a good thing. Acts 18, which I'm going to read a little section um, later on, tells the miraculous story of how the church was started. The Apostle Paul was a a traveling missionary going around the ancient Near East, and he supported himself making tents. And he met this Jewish couple, uh, Aquila and Priscilla, who happened to be in the city because they had been persecuted in Rome. They They were driven out of Rome as Jewish people. And so... They also were tent makers, and Paul, Paul met them in the tent making industry. And so they actually came to know Jesus, and revival broke out in Corinth as they announced the good news about Jesus. Well, Paul was later attacked and put on trial, so there was a lot of persecution that happened in Corinth. Um, so he left with these new converts, Aquila and Priscilla, he spent a year and a half in the city of Corinth teaching, and, and he actually left the city, went on a, a church planning trip with Aquila and Priscilla, and he got a report later. Like, I don't know how long later, uh, he, he got this report about the church in Corinth, 
and it wasn't great news. It wasn't great news. What he finds out is that the church in Corinth was very divided, very divided, fierce divisions. There were problems about, they were arguing about how to do church. What's the appropriate way to do church? There were arguments about communion. In fact, people, some people uh, were getting drunk on communion and other people were like getting wasted on communion and others like there was not even enough for them to partake in communion. This was a, a very dysfunctional church. They were arguing about food and diet and they were arguing about important doctrinal things like the resurrection. And so with this context, I want to read this letter called 1 Corinthians, this letter that Paul is writing to this church in the city of Corinth. This is God's word, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, called as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints, with all those in every place, who call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus, that you are enriched in him in every way, in all speech and all knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. How could Paul be so encouraging to a church that was so dysfunctional and discouraging? If ever there was an opportunity for discouragement and hopelessness and despair, I think this would be the time. Like, the church has gone way off the rails. And here Paul is just effusive with grace and peace and encouragement to these people. This intro to Paul's letter to the church in Corinth is going to be for us a lesson on encouragement. That's what we're getting today, a lesson on encouragement. Think about that word encourage. The E-N, N, courage. N means to put into courage. You're, you're actually, uh, this Middle English word courage is like spirit or heart. He's saying, the word encouragement is to like keep hope alive in people. It's to like inject courage into people. You got this. You can do this. You're going to make it. First John, the book that we just studied, talks about love. And we would, if we love God truly, we would love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And in Corinthians, we're going to get the chapter on love. Some of you have probably had it read at your wedding. And love always hopes Love always hopes. And we see an example of that in chapter one. Our job as Christians, no matter how 
hopeless the circumstances are, no matter how hopeless the person, we can step in with a ministry of encouragement. That is our job. As we look at Paul's example, and I just want to ask this, um, does anyone here, does anyone watching need some of this? Anyone need just a shot of encouragement this morning? I hope that you get it from the Apostle Paul, from God himself. I hope you get a shot. Here's the thing. Have any of you guys met someone who's like too encouraged? No, you haven't. Every single human being that you interact with needs life-giving words. They need to be built up. They need to be encouraged. So in this text, I want us to see three reasons why we have hope for people. Three reasons why we have hope for people so that we're not just saying trite things to people. We, we want to say things to people that are actually true and anchored in the good news about Jesus. It's not a blind hope. There are actual reasons we have to hope. And I don't know if you remember, if you were here a couple weeks ago, we talked about the bungee jumping off the Blue Crins Bridge, the largest bungee jump in the world. Actually, uh, a friend, Joel, uh, he, he's a part of Veritas. He said, actually, I did that bungee jump, and I actually have some of the bungee cord. He's like, it's crazy. Um, like, I want to hear about it sometime. We talked about how if you're bungee jumping, um, you might be terrified, but you are held by the bungee cord, and you're going to be fine. If you're confident, you're like, oh, this is great. You're held by a bungee cord. If you're screaming the whole way down, thinking you're going to die, you're held by the bungee cord. The example was Jesus Christ is holding us, so we're going to be okay. It feels like we're in a free fall, but Jesus is holding us. And so there is a good reason to have hope. And there are three reasons I see in this text, at least three reasons, why Paul could hope for this church that would be through the lens of just the flesh. Uh, it's so discouraging. Well, the first point is this, if you're taking notes. The first reason we can have hope for people, God's light shines brightest in the darkest places. God's light shines brightest in the darkest places. Think about the city Corinth. It's a very dark place, but look at what he says in verse 2. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints. Now, we think of saints as like old dead people that did amazing things that we could never do, but that's not Paul's view here. He is calling these people saints. A saint is someone who's set apart to be holy. How can you call that guy like, man, I heard about what happened at communion last week, but I just want to start with man, you guys are a bunch of saints. That's not what I would say to that guy. But Paul does. Why? Well, he goes on. These people have been forgiven, cleansed. But verse 8, he says, you were called by him into fellowship. You were called. There's a lot of words about Paul. I'm called as an apostle. You guys called by him into fellowship. I think Paul's reflecting as he's writing. He's reflecting on this church at Corinth, and he's saying, this is a miracle. 
This is a miracle that this thing happened. If we go back to Acts 18 and we see what happened, Paul is there in Corinth, and this happened to him, Acts 18, verse 9. The Lord said to Paul in a night vision, Don't be afraid, but keep on speaking. Don't be silent. For I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you, because I have many people in the city. Now, based on what God says to Paul, Paul, God would not have told Paul to not be afraid unless Paul was afraid. God would not have told Paul to keep on speaking unless he was tempted to leave the city and quit speaking, just move on. God would not have told Paul, I'm with you, unless he was feeling the sense of God maybe abandoning him. He says, no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you. Maybe Paul was fearful for his own physical safety. And the reason, he says, don't be afraid, I'm with you. And listen, I have many people in this city. The reason that we have 1 Corinthians in our Bible and there was this church in Corinth, is because God showed up to Paul and said, don't quit. Keep speaking in that dark city. Corinth was hard, but he's saying, stay there. I, uh, uh, last week, uh, some friends from Veritas let, uh, let us use their place in, in Missouri, uh, their cabin, and, and there's a place with like, I mean, there's like no light pollution down there. I don't know what's in northern Missouri, but but it was dark, right? And we're sitting out under the stars. And I'm telling you, it was the brightest sky that I've, I've seen in a long time. You could see the Milky Way. And we happened to be there during a time of this meteor shower that happens every August. And I mean, shooting stars. There was one that shot across the sky that I was scared. I thought it was going to hit us, right? I don't know. Jeff talked uh, last week about a shooting star. I don't know what that was like. This one like went across the whole sky on fire. And I was like, ah, it's going to, it's going to come after us. Um, it was just amazing to see the brightness of the stars. But it was because the sky was so dark. Listen, the darker the sky, the more clearly you see the stars. Jesus Christ shines brightest in the darkest places. I remember when I was coming to Iowa City, and there was a guy that was from here, and he's like, he's like oh, you're going to the People's Republic of Johnson County. Good luck. They're not going to listen. They don't want your message there. I know the people of Iowa City. And he's kind of laughing at me. Veritas. Okay. Look around. God has done a miracle here in this place. And the more I live in this place, the more I have come to love this place and the darkness. Because that's what Jesus said. What would you do with a, with a light? Would you put it under a bowl? No, you would take it into a dark place and you would just set it there to shine. We all, though, we all fight discouragement. And I know some of you that are like, I just want to leave. I just want to go somewhere where it doesn't feel like there's so much 
antagonism and like hatred toward my faith. Like, I just want to move. I want to go somewhere else. What would it mean for us to keep hope alive for us in this city, in this county, in this country? To keep praying for this campus, our neighborhoods, God had to show up to Paul and say, keep going. I know it's dark, but just trust me. And some of you um, are feeling discouraged, maybe about a loved one. Maybe it's a, a mom or a dad or a son or a daughter, a brother or a sister, someone whose life just seems so dark and hopeless. And maybe God's saying to you this morning, keep going, keep speaking, keep praying, keep hoping. Like your job is to hope for that person, for that city, for that people. Freshman, let me ask you a question. Are you here to be a part of the darkness or to be a light that shines in the darkness? I think you need to decide now why you're here in Iowa City. Like, which way are you going to go? Paul says to those, verse 2, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called the saints. You guys are holy, forgiven in Christ, through Jesus Christ. This holiness has happened. This has been done to you. You are sanctified in like past tense. But then in verse 8, he says, so that you will be blameless. This is a paradox. Which is it? He says you've been sanctified and you are being sanctified. So holiness has happened and is happening. I think that's interesting as he's looking at this Corinthian church. One of the reasons, the second reason why Paul could have hope for this church is because this is the second point. To be a Christian means you are still in the process of becoming like Jesus. If you're a Christian, you are still in the process of becoming like Jesus. This is a process. If, if you, in verse 4, he says, I, I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus. Let me just say this real quick. The grace of God given to you. Here's what the gospel is. We always say the gospel, the gospel, the announcement about the good news. Here is what grace is. I am a sinner. Like I was born into this world and nobody had to teach me how to rebel against my parents. Nobody had to teach me how to steal, lie, all those things and be mean. Like we, we are sinners. We all deserve to be judged for our sin, right? All of us, the Bible says all of us, it is appointed for us as humans to die once and then face judgment. That's what's true. But here's the good news. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sin so that we would not have to face the judgment of God. That is what grace is. 
Grace is that God steps in on our behalf. He was crucified on the cross. He was put in the tomb. He was raised on the third day. That's what we mean when we say the gospel. And all you have to do, the word grace in Greek is charis. All it means is it's a gift. It's a gift. All you have to do to receive this gift of Jesus is just to hold out your hands and say, yes, Jesus, I receive you by faith and you will be saved. That's what grace is. But here's what happens. When you receive the gift of God's grace, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and he changes your desires. All of a sudden, getting drunk down, you know, going to the bars, getting wasted or whatever, all of a sudden that doesn't feel normal to you. Like all of a sudden it feels like, wait, that's weird. I don't, that doesn't seem like that's who I am. It's because it's not who you are. You get a new identity. You become made new in the attitude of your mind and in your heart. But listen, this is a process for us. And none of us, nobody that's watching, nobody that's spread out over this field can say, I have arrived. When it comes to following Jesus, there are no experts. There are no veterans. So we're all in this together. We are all in the process of becoming more like Jesus, which means I am free to love you where you're at. So I love you where you're at, not where I, where I want you to be, right? I can love you where you're at, not where I want you to be. I know who you are, and I know who you are becoming. So now we can just love each other. When we disappoint each other, we can just be like, that's okay. I love you, and God has some good stuff in store for you. So this is uh, kind of an example, uh, extreme example from my life. When I was in junior high, uh, when I was 14 years old, I made the best decision of my life and the worst decision of my life in the span of about 24 hours, less than. Um, it was in Mexico. We were on a mission trip. I was a little skate punk, didn't want anything to do with God, hated going to church. And I was in this mission trip that basically my parents cajoled me into, don't even know how I ended up there. And God did something in my heart and I gave my life to Jesus. I went from standing there as a little punk is there worshiping? And I was like, this is so dumb. To all of a sudden, I was like, like, I want this. Like something was grabbing me from behind and just like pulling me up. And it was the grace of God. God was calling me and I was saved. That night, I gave my life to Jesus. And the next day, less than 24 hours later, we're at, we're at the pool and me and our friends. And there was this kid hanging out with my buddies and I, and, and he was not one of the cool kids. And so we knew that he liked this girl. And so we actually, uh, all these girls were there and us, and, and we, we got around our friend, this kid, not our friend really, and we pulled his pants down in front of these girls. And uh, swim trunks, he had no underwear on or anything. He was totally humiliated. And I remember, um, like, to this day, I think that that might be one of the most evil things that I've ever done in my life. Like, 
We completely destroyed this kid in front of everybody. And as a 14-year-old kid, you know, we were laughing, but in my heart I knew this is so wrong. And I think about what it would be like to be my middle school pastor and have to deal with that Mark Errant. You know, when you do something that's so dumb, like some of you are here this morning and you just did, you're like, yeah, tell me about it. 24 hours ago. Let me tell you what I was doing Friday night. And I'm saying, welcome to church. You are in the right place. Because what I needed, someone to sit down and say, Mark, that is not who you are. That's not who you are. And there's forgiveness for you. And there's grace for you. And like, I'm... 43, and I don't struggle with like going around and depancing people in front of their friends, but I still do some like really stupid things. Things that you're like, I should be past that. You know, you guys feel like that? Like, I should be past that. Like, I should be past like saying mean things about people and being judgmental and all those things. And, but Paul here is seeing in this church. Although they are so dysfunctional, there is so much hope for them because that's not the end of their story. And we're going to get a bunch of chapters here saying some corrective things. But it begins with hope. I want to encourage you this morning. This church is filled with uh, young people. And there's a lot of, Ryan mentioned it, there's a lot of messes. Uh, when you have a church filled with college students, um, that's okay. Like church in Ames that I came from, I remember we were, um, man, we had a, uh, we had a Saturday night service and there was a guy, I, I don't know if he was a college student, young, young guy that was one of the camera, camera guys. Um, and, uh, Saturday night church and the dude passed out while he was running the camera, like fell down off the platform. They just fell on the ground like, oh, no, somebody passed out. And they get him out, and they realize, this guy smells like alcohol. Dude's been drinking. Well, there was an Iowa State game that day. He had been tailgating all day, right, and passed out at the camera. Now, what do you say to that guy? You know, I'm like, on the one hand, it's like, that's not a good idea. But the other, <laughs> like, what are, you, what are you thinking? Some of you had parents that say that. Right? I never have. Uh, but you know, the, it's like, what are you thinking? Like, what does that guy need? Like, as he's passed out looking up at the pastor. You know, I think what that guy needs is like, you know what? This is amazing. Like, you partied so hard, but you were so committed to church that you still came. And it's not just that you showed up and were like sitting in the back ashamed. No, like you're serving. Like, dude, I got to gotta go to church and serve. Like, it's not as you're showing up, you're serving. And your commitment, your level of commitment is amazing. I think there's so much hope for that guy. And I think being in a church like this, where that happens frequently, you know what? Our family table, we've got a lot of kids. There is always crumbs around our table. Underneath our table, it's a total mess. Kool-Aid stains in the carpet, crumbs everywhere. You know, it's going to be a sad day when there are no more messes 
because that means the kids are gone, right? We love having little kids because we know they make messes and we are okay. Wherever you're at this morning, welcome to Veritas. We hope that you will meet Jesus and be transformed by him. There is so much hope for you this morning. And as we, we kind of land here, he says in verse 5, he goes, you guys were enriched in him in every way, in all speech and all knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you do not lack any spiritual gift. He, what Paul's saying is, you guys, you have everything you need to continue on the journey of becoming more like Jesus. As you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, church, we are not home yet. We are not home yet, and we just ache, and we long. I love that song that, that Dalton and Caleb were singing, beautiful, and it's like the, the oh part. Oh, you're like, like, it's just like this, like, oh. You're longing to be with God. You're longing. That's what Paul's saying. Like, you guys are eagerly waiting to see Jesus, verse 8, and he will strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This last point is the anchor of our hope for people. This is the basis of, of why we can have a ministry of encouragement to discouraging people. Here it is. Number three, you're going to make it because God will never give up on you. That's what Paul means when he says, God is faithful. The reason I can have hope for any Christian is because they're going to make it because God will never give up on them. So as we end, I just want to end with this question. Who's someone in your life that you're discouraged by? And maybe it's a, um, a situation, maybe it's a circumstance that you're discouraged by. Maybe it's a person that you're discouraged by. Maybe it's a church that you're discouraged by. Maybe it's Veritas that you're discouraged by. And I just have this question, what will it look like for you to see that situation or that person or that church through the lens of the gospel? How will the gospel, how will the reality that God has called a Christian as a saint and is making them more like Jesus and he is faithful and he will do that and he's coming back and he's going to save us and we're going to live with him. How will that reality change the way you see this city or this campus or your mom, or your dad, or your son, or your daughter, or your brother, or your sister, or your roommate. There are many opportunities for division and discouragement, but all of those opportunities for division are just opportunities for hope 
and encouragement. And maybe that's why God has put you in that situation to bring life. My dad always says, yeah, he's always saying this statement. He's like, if you want it to be there, you got to bring it. If you want there to be love at church, you got to walk in with love. You got to bring it. If you want there to be hope, if you want there to be passion, you got to walk into the room with it. And so church, as we go, I want us to bring the ministry of encouragement to people. Let's pray. In this song we're about to sing, uh, it says, even when I don't feel it, you're working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. You never stop working. That's kind of what God said to Paul in that vision when he was in Corinth. Like, hey, don't be afraid. Keep speaking because I have people in this city. As he's writing this letter, he's saying to the people, the church called to be saints, Jesus, I pray that as we work our way through this book, that hope will rise up in us and you will transform us to be lights that shine in this darkness, that this will be a year that people will be saved, that hopeless people will be filled with hope, that the name of Jesus, as it's announced, many people would be drawn in. We love you, Jesus.